Thessalonians chapter 2. Started up in 2 Thessalonians last week and uh, can continue our study into this. Hey, Dustin, can you put that first slide up there? Kind of small print there, but I'll try to point your attention out to some of this stuff here. We're going to kind of take it a little bit differently tonight. Obviously, we like to do the verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through this. But with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there's so much information. I don't know how much time we're going to spend in this chapter. We may be in this chapter for a couple weeks. If you remember correctly, when we started our study in 2 Thessalonians last week, we talked about how it's, very, it's a great book to be doing at this time. Because what was going on in the church at Thessalonica was this idea of end times and did they, did they miss the coming of Christ? The world's kind of falling apart. What's going on? So the first chapter is just talking about what is your walk with Christ supposed to be like here in this world we live in. Chapter 2 is kind of informational to say, okay, this is what end times looks like. And chapter 3 is now that we know this information, what are we doing with it? You know, if we really do believe that Christ may be returning, if we really do believe that we're coming towards the end, how does this affect how we live and act? How does the Holy Spirit use this to spur us on in all that we do and all that we say? And this is what now, as we get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you're going to start to see some of this. Look at verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Now, before we get into the details of the second coming of Christ, we have to establish a couple points here. First one you see in verse 2, shaken, troubled. Some of your translations may say unsettled, alarmed. When I first got saved and people started talking about the return of Jesus Christ, second coming, rapture, tribulation, antichrist. On the outside, I did what I was supposed to do as a good Christian. That's exciting. Jesus may return. Oh, I can't wait. Followed by the, on the inside saying, I have no idea what this means and this is kind of completely freaking me out. What happens is we hear about these things and we hear about Jesus returning in the Antichrist and tribulation. And sometimes we get a little shaken, troubled, unsettled, alarmed by this. And the church at Thessalonica, they were kind of shaken a little bit because they thought it happened and they thought they missed it. So what we want to talk about is how this actually is supposed to bring you peace. This is supposed to bring you comfort. Keep your hand right here in 2 Thessalonians. Jump back one book to the left. The first book that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Look at some of the words here. As he gets into the idea of the second coming and the rapture, he makes a couple points about this. First thing you see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, don't be ignorant of these things. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, don't be ignorant of these things. See, this is what I notice when it comes to end times. You see these two extremes. You see this one extreme that almost says, hey, we're not going to be here for this. So what difference does it make? And they are kind of ignorant of this idea of end times. And I'm not going to be here for it. It has nothing to do with me. So we don't care. Paul is saying, don't be ignorant of these things. Now, you see the other group that gets so focused on end times. Who is the Antichrist? Look at all these prophetic events happening. And they're so focused on the end times that they forget they're supposed to be witnessing and telling people about Jesus right now. So what is the balance of this? The balance is do not be ignorant of these things. That's why we study it. But at the same time, it's not supposed to be something that shakes us or scares us. See, look at the end here in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
Then he repeats it a little bit later, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 11. Comfort each other and edify one another. The goal is that when we talk about these events and the rapture and the coming of Jesus and the end times, that hopefully you're comforted by these things. Not scared, not alarmed, that you don't go home and can't sleep tonight. It's supposed to be something where this is look near because your redemption draws near. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus talking about end times in Matthew 24, he kept repeating these two words. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Not to be ignorant of these things, to be comforted by these ideas, to not be ignorant of it. To have an understanding of what this is. Because what we're really living in right now is if we truly do believe this is the end times. You know, according to what Paul wrote in Timothy, that there's a falling away that's going on right now as we speak. According to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, we're in the beginning of the birth pains. This idea of judgment is coming. Listen to this passage here from Christ in Matthew chapter 24. You don't need to turn there, but just kind of listen to this. This is what he says. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, come to Jesus privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So, what is the end times going to look like? What is your signs of your coming? Look at his answer. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginnings of sorrows. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. If you want to do a little bit further study, I encourage you to take a look at Revelation chapter 6 with the seal judgments and compare that to what we just read there in Matthew chapter 24. You're going to see a very, very comparison between those two chapters. And Jesus is saying, we're in this time here of these birth pains, of these sorrows, that the labor is coming And are we ready for this? I was thinking back today to the first time I taught through the book of Matthew. It was back in 1997. And so 18 years ago when I was teaching through this, it just amazes me how much has even changed in those 18 years. Look at verse 5, or I guess I'm reading it to you. Verse 5 where it says, Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. You know, if you want to waste some time in your life, go on Wikipedia. There's a whole page devoted to people who claim to be Jesus. There's a whole page on the internet of people who claim to be Jesus. How many people are now saying, I am the Christ? I can remember when I first taught this 18 years ago, I got this information. I don't even know where I got it from. It wasn't online. And got this information about how earthquakes are increasing, etc. And like now, we don't even need to get that. And we know this. We just, just watching the news, you see the famines, the pestilences, the earthquakes. You see the signs in the heavens. The world looks like it's just starting to literally fall apart. Wars, rumors of wars, tribulation, fighting, kingdoms. I mean, all this stuff is happening right in front of us. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, he goes, hey, guys, this is the beginning of the birth pains. And this is what we're dealing with right now. Now, we hear this. Now, does that trouble us? Does that sorrow us? Does that alarm us? Or does that actually bring us some comfort saying, okay, Lord, 
You're still moving, you're still working, and the end could be coming near. You know, I don't know how many times I say this to somebody throughout the week. They'll contact me, and there'll be a problem. They'll be struggling with something, and they're like, they're really worked up about it. And I'll say, hey, listen, you know what? Christ may return before this even happens. Let's not even worry about it. He may return before this even happens. What's going on? It looks like the world is getting ready to be judged. And that's what some of these birth pains are. And that's what we're going to be getting into here. So don't be shaken. Don't be troubled. Don't be unsettled. Don't be alarmed. Instead, be comforted. Because as you read through this and study this, you're going to see God has his hand on this. And so when we see these things happening in the news, and we see this deal going on with Iran, and you see Russia, and here's Jerusalem, oh, don't get unsettled by that. Those are just puzzle pieces in the end times being taken care of. When you see the Supreme Court making this decision or this ruling... Don't get unsettled by that. Just realize these are puzzle pieces that are just coming together for the end times. And this is what the Lord is getting set up for. So he's telling the church at Thessalonica, don't be shaken, don't be troubled. You haven't missed out on Christ. Look at verse 3 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, that day of judgment, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Let's get into just a little bit end times here, because there can be some confusion on two events. And these two events are the rapture of the church and the second coming. So I know this is a little bit difficult to see here, so I'm just going to point out a couple things here. i got my handy-dandy little laser pointer. Um, you can see right here what starts everything out, this is the rapture. The rapture is the next prophetic event in God's timetable here. Now, when the rapture happens, that begins a seven-year period that goes by different titles in the Bible. Great Tribulation, Time of Jacob's Trouble, 70th week of Daniel. It's a seven-year period, and it's a seven-year period that's divided into two sections. Three and a half years, three and a half years. Now, some translations, or I should say some verses, call it 1,260 days, 42 months. It's all the same thing there. During the first half, this first three and a half years, is the rise of the Antichrist. The temple's rebuilt. There's a peace treaty with Israel. And this is where you find all of these details. Two witnesses are going on, the 144,000. And that's all stuff that's going on in the book of Revelation. It's silly right now to even try to figure out who the son of perdition, the man of sin, is the Antichrist. He hasn't been revealed yet. It just kind of blows my mind when I run into Christians who are trying to figure out who he is. We can't know who he is because he hasn't been revealed yet. So when he's revealed, we'll know who he is. But it just amazes me. I got saved in 1993. And I remember in 1993, I was just so desperate to listen to any Christian radio I could. And there wasn't the amount of stations that we have today. And I remember there was a station uh, over on the Toledo BG area. And it's like, oh, this is a Christian station. It's Christian. It's got to be good. Now, looking back 22 years later, I had some of the funkiest teachings I've ever heard in my life. I remember two teachings on it. One of them specifically was the guy was on the radio. It was a little after 4 o'clock. And he just kept telling us, unless he gets enough donations, he has to shut the radio station down at 4.30. And it was a little after 4. And if, he doesn't, if money doesn't come in, I'm shutting the station down at 4.30. Here I am. I'm 16 years old. I'm driving somewhere. And I'm like, oh, Lord, please give money. Just give him the money, Lord. You know? Now I'm starting to realize how awful that teaching was. Same radio station taught me that JFK is not really dead. He's alive in a bunker under Washington. And he is going to come back and be the Antichrist. That's what I learned in 1993. So I would love, I wish I could remember who that teacher was. I would love to look that teacher up and see what's going on. But JFK was still alive, and he's the Antichrist, and he's going to come back. 22 years later, I don't think that's happened yet. 
It's the rise of the Antichrist. You're not going to know who he is. So if you run into somebody who knows who he is, just stay away from him. If you run into somebody who wants to figure out who he is, just stay away from him. We don't need to worry about that. We're not supposed to be ignorant of the role of the Antichrist. He's going to come into world power here after the rapture happens, and he's going to do some amazing things. And we'll get to that probably next week about what his miracles look like. And I use that term very lightly. He's going to be empowered by Satan to do these type of things. He is going to create this peace treaty, it looks like, where Israel will finally be at peace. Israel at peace. That's amazing to think about that. The Bible talks about Israel in the end times being a a town of unwalled villages. Meaning that Israel kind of lets its defenses down. Now, if you know anything about the military, if you follow end times prophecy at all, you know that Israel is always ready for a fight. They have to. If you look at the map and you just see Israel, they're completely surrounded by Muslim nations, who some of these Muslim nations have in their charter the destruction of Israel. I mean, we can't, we just can't even compare. We can't even imagine what that's like. That's like being in the state of Ohio and Detroit and Fort Wayne and Pittsburgh vowing to destroy us. We just can't even imagine that. That's what Israel deals with on a regular basis. So for Israel to reach a point where they can supposedly have peace and they let down their defenses, that's amazing. That's what's going to happen. And I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but what happens is Russia comes down from the north. There's a group of uh, uh, Muslim nations that come up from the south. And if you're into end times and you want to study this out, just, just check out Russia and Russia's involvement with the Muslims. Check out Iran with what they're doing. It's just fascinating to see these puzzle pieces just come together. They just come together like this. This is just happening right in front of us. So what you have here, once again, the rise of the Antichrist. The temple is going to be rebuilt. The temple is going to be rebuilt. Once again, if you want to go waste some time, get online and, and look this up. They already are trying to train the priesthood. They're already getting the garments for the priest around. If you know anything about the Old Testament, they're trying to breed a red heifer. Uh, you know, they're doing all these things to get the temple up and going. This is not crazy hidden information. There's, this is right out there happening. So the temple is going to be rebuilt. Uh, the two witnesses, 144,000. Once again, those are a couple things in the book of Revelation. The two witnesses walk on this earth, and they're amazing witnesses for the Lord, if you want to study that out. I believe that's Revelation chapter 12, and also the 144,000. So that's what's going on in the first half. But what happens here in the middle is this thing called the abomination of desolation. And what we can piece together, and we're going to get into this over the next couple weeks, this is where the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple and goes into the Holy of Holies, reveals himself, and basically says, I am God, worship me. The Jews realize that they were wrong, and then we get into this whole second half here of the tribulation. And in the second half, this is where Israel's taken to the wilderness. They're protected by God's hand. This is where the battle of Armageddon happens. We have the bowl and trumpet judgments. And if you think the seal trumpet, excuse me, the seal judgments are bad in Revelation 6, the bowl and trumpet judgments just keep getting worse and worse and worse. This finally culminates in the second coming of Christ. Second coming, which then takes us into the millennial reign. But this is what I want to get into. Can you go to the next slide here real quick, Dustin? This is where the confusion happens. Go ahead and keep uh, going forward with this. Second coming versus the rapture. Don't get confused by these two events. Second coming is the literal, physical return of Jesus on this earth. He comes second coming. He actually steps foot on the earth, Mount of Olives. According to Zechariah 14, he splits the mountain in half. 
Talk about an entrance. So he comes down, splits them out in half. Rapture, Christ meets us in the air. He doesn't come down to earth. He meets us in the air. Next one, Dustin. Christ returns to reign. Second coming brings in the millennial reign of Christ. A literal thousand-year period where Jesus rules and reigns as king from Jerusalem. Amazing. Amazing. Rapture, Christ returns to take us home. Next one. We return with Christ at the second coming. Rapture, we go home with Christ. So there's some confusion with those type of things. So this is what you've got to remember. Rapture starts this seven-year period called the tribulation. Christ meets us in the air. Christ returns to take us home. We go home with Christ. Second coming, Christ steps foot on earth. Christ returns to reign for a little thousand years, and we return with Christ. Let's look at some verses here to kind of talk about this a little bit. You should be in 2 Thessalonians 2. Backtrack real quick to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Here's a passage about the rapture. It says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Those are believers who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's our comfort. Now, real quick, and just this is kind of important here to understand where we get this word rapture from. If you look there in verse 17, that word caught up, that word caught up is in the English, caught up. In the Greek, it's a Greek word, harparzo, but what's most importantly, that Greek word is translated to the word rapture in Latin. So that's where you get your word rapture from. And, and it's a very interesting word. It means a sudden, instant grabbing. It can almost be translated kidnapped, if you will. This idea of this is the sudden instant grabbing of we, the believers, the church, the body of Christ, who are alive on this earth, there's going to come a time and instantaneously we just are gone. And that's supposed to be a comfort to us. Let's build up one more passage on this. Can you go to 1 Corinthians 15, please? 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, Paul gives us a little bit more detail about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, starting in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised and incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, that word right there, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, verse 52, is a very interesting word. That word moment is literally translated atomos, which is where we get our English word atom. Which it's trying to tell you that this is the smallest division of time you can imagine. It's one atom of a time, if you will. That's how instantaneously we're going to be gone. This isn't going to be like I'm talking to a non-believer and all of a sudden my feet just slowly start to... And it's like, okay, I'll see you later, man. And the next thing I know, five minutes later, I'm at 100 feet. And 10 minutes later, I'm at, it's, like, it's not like a hot air balloon going off. This is a momentary, instantaneous, one atom of a time gone. Now, this is a comfort to us. Because everything you're worried about, fearful about, anxious about, could all just be gone now. That's a comfort to us. Now, if you're not saved... You should be scared out of your socks. 
Because if you're not saved, that means in a moment with no expectation, people could just be gone. Just literally gone. And the craziness, and that's not even the right word. I can't even think of the word to describe what would be left on this earth with all of a sudden people just gone. And what that would look like and what that would do. And I know Hollywood and authors have tried to come up with books and ideas and how the world would respond to it. And, you know, I don't know if I've ever read anything or saw anything that I think actually could do it justice. Of just how absolutely crazy that would be. Now, as a believer, you're comforted. I get to go home instantaneously. It's done. The physical pain, done. Mental stress, done. Worried about life, bills, health, done. Instantaneously, home. You know, we've been teaching the boys about this. And the younger ones kind of get the wording confused. And this is usually what Kenan says. Kenan usually says, Dad, what's the one where we get to go to heaven but we don't have to die? I said, that's the rapture. He goes, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. And I first started teaching the boys about this idea of the rapture. It was that childlike faith. That eager expectation of, Dad, when's it going to happen? What's taking so long? And they still every now and then, Dad, what is taking so long? And sometimes as an adult, I'm like, Lord, what's taking so long? But you know, the Bible says that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but He's patient, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You know, when I first got saved, once again, 22 years ago, you know, People I love and trust are like, man, that's going to happen soon. Two decades later, it hasn't happened yet. I'm not doubting. I mean, I still say, oh, man, it could happen soon. We don't know. But for you that have gotten saved in the last two decades, you should be thankful that my prayers weren't answered. You know, and, and I got saved in 93. So anybody that got saved before 1993 and you were praying for the rapture to happen, I should be thankful that your prayers weren't answered. Because the longer the Lord waits the more opportunity for people to get on the bus before it leaves. And so therefore, okay, Lord, in one instance, I'm ready, I'm done, let's go. And the other instance, it's like, Lord, every day you wait, there's more of an opportunity to tell people about Christ for them to hear this. Because I tell you, when you really study out Revelation and you really study out end times, you don't want anybody to go through that tribulation. You don't. When we get into the seal judgments and the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments, you don't want that. Real quick, can you go to uh, Revelation 19? We're running out of time here. Revelation 19. So that's the rapture. You can see the difference there. Can you go to the next slide, please, Dustin? Millennial reign. And Dustin, you can go ahead and put all those points up real quick here because we're running out of time. If you go to Revelation 19... This is just a quick overview here. And I wanted to get this at least covered, like I said. I don't know how much we're going to get through tonight. We'll have to go through more of this tomorrow. Revelation 19, you start seeing now the second coming of Christ. Revelation 19, verse 11. This is second coming, not rapture. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. See, when Jesus is coming back the second time, he's coming back to reclaim what is his. The rapture is like, I'm getting you guys out of here. Second coming, I'm coming back to fight. Verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His on his head were many crowns. And he had name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. 
That's the second coming. Jump ahead. What happens when he comes back at the second coming? Chapter 20, verse 1. You see an angel coming, and you see Satan being bound for a thousand years. So during the millennial reign of Christ, Satan is bound. Verses 4 through 6, I know I'm kind of going quick here. We reign with Christ for a thousand years. Here's a couple quick points on the millennial reign. This is really interesting. If you really study out the millennial reign, how often it's mentioned in prophecy. It's all over the place. Isaiah is talking about the millennial reign all the time. Millennial reign, thousand year reign. Christ literally reigns from Jerusalem. He finally gets to be king. He reigns from Jerusalem. Curse is reversed. If you go back and you read these passages in Isaiah, this is where you get the idea of uh, the wolf and the lamb laying down together. This is where you get the idea in the book of um, Isaiah. It talks about if somebody would die at 100 years old, they would seem like they were a child. Or it talks about how in the book of Isaiah during lineal reign that the children can go out and play by the viper pit hole because the curse is reversed. So that's what's going on in lineal reign. Saints will reign with him. Those that came out here, we get to literally reign with Christ. See, this is the problem. When people think of eternity, they imagine us sitting on some cloud, twiddling our thumbs, saying, what do you want to do today? You know, for a thousand years, we get to come down and literally reign with Christ. And what a blessing that would be. Life will go on for those that that are left. See, what happens here, and this is a big subject. I know I'm making this quickly. Those that survive the tribulation, those that survive the seven years... At the end part of the tribulation, in Matthew chapter 25, there's something called the separation of the sheep and the goats. So if you make it through the tribulation alive, assuming you weren't saved and you didn't get raptured, so you made it through the tribulation alive. At the end of the tribulation, if you were not saved still, you made it through the tribulation, and all those things still didn't change your heart. You're considered a goat, and you're not allowed to go into the millennial reign of Christ. But if you did make it through the tribulation and you got saved during the tribulation, now note, once again, if you're saved now, you go out in the rapture. These are people that were not saved at the rapture that got saved during the tribulation. They make it through the tribulation. They get to stay on the earth and life goes on for them. They get to live on this earth with Jesus ruling and reigning and having children. And like I said, there's all these prophecies about it. And it's just going to be an amazing time of Christ actually getting to rule and reign. For a thousand years. So that's the millennial reign of Christ. So let's pull this all together. Go back now to 2 Thessalonians, please. Chapter 2. Consider this our introduction to this chapter, if you will. We're supposed to be comforted by these words. Not shaken. Not alarmed. Not troubled. Not unsettled. But comforted. God wants us to understand the difference between second coming and rapture. He wants us to know what this day, this day of judgment is going to be like. In verse 3, the falling away that comes first, that we're dealing with now. Man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist, which will be revealed after the rapture happens. And then what happens is we're going to get to the rest of this stuff here next week as we get into more detail of what the tribulation will be like, what the Antichrist role will be. And we'll get into that more here in the next couple weeks. So a lot of information here tonight. But I tell you, the only thing you get out of tonight is this. I guess there's two points I want to share with you, if this is the only stuff you got out of it. If you're born again and saved here tonight, be comforted. Be comforted, knowing that this is your heavenly Father, your, your loving Father, or, or as it says, your Abba, your Daddy. He says, hey, I, you know what? One of these days I'm just going to come grab you and take you home. It's like never knowing when vacation's going to start, but one of these days is jump in the car and we get to go. How exciting is that? That's a comfort. 
if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ, you really don't understand what a relationship with Him is, this is not one of those things where we're trying to scare you into a relationship with Jesus. These are just the facts. This tribulation period is going to happen. It's going to be seven years. It is going to be awful. It's going to be worse than you could ever imagine. This is God's judgment being poured out on the earth for this period, the last three and a half years. And that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Because today is the day to say, okay, I get it now. I understand the whole heaven and hell. I understand that my sin keeps me out of heaven and that Jesus' death on the cross paid my debt that I cannot pay for myself. It's a bill I can't pay, but Jesus paid it for me. And so, Lord, I take that. I believe that. I accept that. I confess you as Savior. And therefore, you just punched your ticket in the rapture whenever that may happen. And for us, when it comes out to sharing Christ, I hope this also spurs us on to say, okay, this stuff is real. This stuff is real. And if I really believe this, and I really believe that this could be close, Lord, help me to live for you as a light and witness in all I say and do. So, I want to make sure we got enough time here for prayer at the end. Has anybody got any final quick questions, comments? Marv. Well, that's an interesting question. Who do they think he is in the first place? And there's a lot of different ways to look at that. Some people believe the Jews may actually look at them, look at him and think that he is their Messiah, that they're still waiting on. Uh, some people are going to look at him as being just a great political man that can bring peace. Depending on where you stand in your Jewish faith, it's going to depend on how you see him. Uh, you know, you may just see him as a political man that finally took a awful situation over there and brought peace or maybe if you are a certain type of religious Jew you may actually say this is the fulfillment of a Messiah that was coming to take care of us the Bible says no no what happens is when he goes into the Holy of Holies and sets himself up as God the Bible says at that moment the Jews eyes are opened and, they, and then it finally comes to the fruitation of this man is not who we thought. It's almost like a supernatural lifting of the blinders. And that's where all this starts to break loose. God at that time miraculously says, guys, here's the truth. And that's when Israel then flees to the wilderness. So God at that moment kind of takes the blinders off their eyes. Anybody else have anything? Um, I, I just have a question about the He doesn't step on the earth until the second time. First, first event is the rapture. First event's the rapture. Rapture is where we are taken off the earth and meet him in the air. Seven years later is the second coming where he actually comes and sets foot on the earth. So rapture is the first event that happens. He takes us home. Second coming happens seven years later where he sets foot on the earth, Mount of Olives. Then the millennium begins. Millennium begins then after that period of the second coming. Yep. Yep, he comes back to stay. Ron. We come back to rule and reign with him, yeah. Revelation chapter 20. Yep. Get it? That's, that's, I like that. Seriously. You, you just summed up Revelation 20. Cool. Yeah, I agree. That's cool. Yeah, what, what happens is we didn't have time to get into it tonight, but after the millennial reign, one of the saddest passages in the Bible. Uh, Satan is let loose. There's a group of people on earth that rebel against Jesus. And then Satan is finally crushed, thrown into hell. And then the great white throne judgment happens. Yep. Dad.
that is a very good question. Do the people that are raptured have any awareness of what's happening to the seven years of the, of the tribulation? My personal opinion, personal opinion, one more time, personal opinion is that no, I don't think they do. And my personal opinion is backed up with this, that if I'm up in heaven watching what's happening on earth, knowing I have unsaved loved ones, how am I supposed to be enjoying the peace of heaven? Now, you, you will run into some people that think that there is this opportunity to see. I don't think you can make a case for that scripturally. For me, if you look in the Bible, I think scripture says, I am focused on being in heaven. I'm focused on the glory of the Lord. And plus, we have to remember, and this is a tough concept, that concept of time is not going to exist in heaven like we think of here. It's not that we're going to be up in heaven literally watching a calendar and seven years go by. Time is a concept that God uses on this earth and this planet that we're not going to be going through up there in heaven. I really don't think up in heaven we're going to say, hey, do you realize we've been up here 22,367 years? It doesn't work that way. I don't think it does. So, no, I don't think we're going to be seeing what's going on. Anybody else have anything before we close up? All right. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Let's have a word of prayer. And once we're done with prayer, you guys can come up. Anybody has anything they want to pray over, we'll come up and we'll pray as a body. And if you've got to get going, go ahead and get going then. So let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we just think about these words again. I think back to that phrase. You said, comfort one another with these words. Lord, we don't want to be unsettled. We don't want to be alarmed. You're coming back for us. Thank you, Lord. And I just, I just loved what Ron said. That's just cool. Thank you, Lord. Um, help this to spur us on to be a light and a witness in what we say and do on this earth, on this planet. And Lord, to truly look at everything through the lens of eternity. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. And Lord, I just think of the back-to-school giveaway. I think of the prayer chain. I think of the baptism. These would all be opportunities for people to grow deeper in their walk and relationship with you. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. If you have anything you want to pray for, come on up here and pray. If not, we'll see you guys next week or on Sunday then.